0: The following may contain offensive language, adult humor, and or content that some viewers may find offensive. The views and opinions expressed by any one speaker does not explicitly or necessarily reflect or represent those of Mark Rattledge or W2M Network. Please listen with caution or don't listen at all. TV
1: We don't
0: want to know. We're dedicated to
2: our favorite shows.
0: Oh my tickets! Everybody loves your motel. Scary dog. Blursin at Blursville. Good evening. You are listening to a radical legend broadcasting premier podcast TV party tonight. I'm your host, the original classic. Mandated reporter and, frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And tonight, our favorite show is Kaleidoscope, which is an American heist drama television miniseries created by Eric Garcia. The eight-part series, unique for its shuffled order, centers around Master Thief Leo Path, played by Mandalorian famous Giancarlo Esposito, also from Breaking Bad, and his crew attempting an, an epic heist worth 7 billion dollars but betrayal greed and other threats undermine their plans kaleidoscope was released on january 1st 2023 by netflix and this series was brought to you by nano chameleon automatique entertainment Scott free productions and the aforementioned netflix joining me tonight is alexis Haina from honeysuckle rose creations from pots unknown how do you do alexis
1: Coming to you from beyond the void. Still having uh, problems with my visual uh, parts here, but you guys get to still listen to my lovely voice.
0: That's until I put you in the basement. Uh, You'll
1: never keep me in the basement, Radulich.
0: I have a friend who keeps saying that if she gets bound and tied up and whatever else, that she's like Houdini and can always escape. That is that you? Is every time I shove you in the basement, you pop up again. Like, look, I have a trailer for us to watch. Fuck, get down, Alexis. (laughs) At least I put Jason down there with you to keep you company.
1: Yeah, fair enough.
0: And ladies and gentlemen, from our Ted Lasso podcast, the casual hero himself, he, this this ain't no bunkhouse. Lex Luger ain't no bunkhouse. Ain't, ain't no cowboy. Jesus Christ. He, right. He's not a cowboy. <laughs> God I'll, damn it. I'll tell, you what,
1: I'll tell you what, Mark. Why don't you start that over? We'll give you another chance.
0: Why don't you start it over? Lex Luger ain't no cowboy. But God damn it, Gavin Napier is. How do you do, Gavin?
2: Well, I'd be better if I hadn't watched Kaleidoscope. But that's what we're here to
0: discuss. That is All right. Let's get this therapy <clears throat> session underway. So right off the bat, the reason why we're talking about this um, and the reason why I'm heading up the discussion, well, the reason I'm heading up the discussion is Gavin's here and I just want to talk to Gavin. Hi, pretty boy. Uh, <laughs> so, so you
1: better have a good reason You're, you're stripping my job.
0: <laughs> get in the basement, you. No, um... I wanted to talk about this because even though I'm not doing a lot of television reviews anymore, occasionally something comes up um, that peaks my interest, tickles my fancy. And I want to have a discussion about it. I don't always have to lead it. But in this case, I I had a lot I needed to process. And Gavin, you actually pitched this to me. You were like, hey, have you seen this? And the whole reason behind the pitch was like like Black Mirror Bandersnatch, this was one of those television shows that was making use of the uh, internet streaming capabilities in that while Bandersnatch was kind of a choose your own adventure kind of a thing where you could pick where the movie was gonna go from one place to the next, this was the gimmick behind it was they were gonna release all eight episodes. Um,
2: Eight, nine something.
0: Yeah, eight episodes. And you could watch them in any order that you wanted. And you and I kind of talked about that for a moment. And we're like, hey, that's an interesting concept. Let's see how well this – let's see if this is at all successful. Um, and then, Alexis, you had expressed interest in this too. So let me go over to you first, Gavin. What about the watch it in any order you want was, before anything else, appealing to you?
2: Um, I think it was marketed well. I think Netflix did a good job of presenting it as a gimmick. Um I think ultimately there was a lot more style than substance to it uh, mm-hmm. because I realized pretty quickly that this show is just bagel bites in television form. <laughs> you know, you can have pizza in the morning, pizza in the evening, pizza at supper time, and pizzas on a bagel, you can have pizza anytime. Well, also when you're an adult, you can have pizza anytime. And yes, with kaleidoscope, you can watch the episodes in any order that you want you know what else you can watch in any order you want anything else (laughs) literally anything i could watch breaking bad in any order that i want and i would still get the same story it would just be up to me to piece it together just like kaleidoscope so it was it was a you know hats off to them they sucked me in with the gimmick um but ultimately i don't i don't think it meant anything
0: what about you, Alexis? You saw them pitch this idea out there to the world. You can watch the show in any order that you want. We're gonna have colorful names, literally colors, for each episode. You can watch it in dramatic order. You can watch it in linear order, like I did. You can watch it in presented order on the Netflix, the way Gavin did. There was people were really having fun, and I know this is something you would want to talk about. There was this whole sort of like cottage industry of people creating lists in order to watch this in. So what, what about all of that was appealing to you?
1: It's just the idea that the, that we're experimenting with new ways to interact with our media. I like the idea that, and Kevin, you are absolutely right. You can choose to watch something in any order. You know, it's not like some somebody is locking you in saying you have to watch this in. It's not like, you know, when we watch TV on, well, regular tv you know it's like you have to watch the episode that plays that night you don't get to pick what other episode you want i just love this idea of experimenting with what we can do now that we have all this technology and this these capabilities with streaming you know and i'm not going to say that this was a brilliant idea (laughs) you know i'm not but it was I, i think that this is going to unlock a lot of potential for what we can do with uh, streaming and episodes like this. I I really think, even though this may not be, you know, the groundbreaking, oh my God, this was riveting series, because, yeah, it wasn't, I do think this is going to open up a lot of doors.
0: So I have the the list that I watch this in, the chronological order. The episodes are Violet, which is 24 years before the heist, green seven years before the heist yellow six weeks before the heist orange three weeks before the heist blue five days before white the actual heist itself which if you watched it in the presenter order was the finale red the morning after and pink why do i have to be pink because you're a faggot. pink six months after and i think let's before we get into the craft of this thing you know performances settings story that sort of thing um, let's first speak to how successful or unsuccessful this gimmick was. And the first thing I want to say, watching it in chronological order, because as Robert Winfrey has said time and time again, I am married to lineal. Stru- I am married to lineal story structure, which is weird because I also love Pulp Fiction. But let's 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 go with that for just a moment. I could not be, handle this show jumping. I I had the same problem with The Witcher where I couldn't follow when things were happening and it bothered me and it took away my enjoyment of the show. I have to watch things in order. Things have to have a natural progression. So starting with 24 years before and ending with like six years later, that worked for me. Here's what doesn't work for me, Gavin. And I want to get your opinion on this. The show, because it, it is serving this master of compartmentalized storytelling so that it doesn't really matter what order you watch these in. And the order you watch these in um Dictates your viewing experience. I felt like there wasn't enough connective tissue between each episode, which I think is a major failing of the story structure for Kaleidoscope. Um, not to beat this particular dead horse, but when I watch The Wire, I'm very much interested in what's going to happen in the next episode. Not that every episode ends in, ends in a stinger, but you're like, ooh, they they got a major piece of evidence. They they've <laughs> they've cracked the clock code. What are we gonna do now? What's gonna happen next? You know, oh, they figured out where the cans are disappearing and how they're disappearing, and what hot face Bakusa has to do with all of this. What are they gonna do in the next episode? You know, there was a lot about uh, these kinds of shows that Breaking Bad being a great example of this. Um, there would be something at the end of the episode where you're like, "What's gonna happen next? I'm interested. I have to come back next week." These were almost little mini movies. And at the end of it, the movie was over, and I didn't necessarily feel like there was a lot of connective tissue, a lot of magnetism into, you know, drawing me into the next episode. I could have just as easily just watched the heist episode and watched an hour-long short heist movie. And I do love a nice heist movie, Gavin. I I like my Ocean's Elevens and my Italian jobs and whatnot. Um, And I would have been perfectly okay just watching the white episode and being done with this. What say you, sir?
2: I think that's fair. I think what I noticed immediately, um, I started with pink. Um, I just picked something at random and that's where I started. And then I went in the order that Netflix presented them to me. Um, So starting with pink, the thing that I noticed jumping from pink to whatever the next episode to whatever the next episode was, was it lent itself to a lot of very heavy handed exposition at the beginning Mm -hmm. of each episode. And whether it's a movie, a short story, a television series, a comic book, whatever, if you're relying on exposition, it's going to stink. <laughs> if if you have to spell everything out for your audience along the way, rather than just dropping crumbs and letting them piece it together, you're just dragging yourself down. Um, and so that exposition in place of the connective tissue between each episode, I think really hurt the series for me. Um Again, I think the gimmick was well intended and it was wonderfully marketed. Uh, I just don't think that they executed it terribly well. Um, I'm with you. I love a good heist movie. Um, They're fun, they're witty, they're fast-paced. They force you to pay attention instead of trying to multitask. Um, And I think overall, the heist part itself was relatively well done. Um, And we'll, we'll get into the cast and crew later, but uh, yeah, the the exposition in place of connective tissue between each episode, it, it really hurt it for me.
0: What about you, Alexis? Can you speak to the absence of connective tissue and whether or not that played into your enjoyment of the series?
1: Definitely, and I can speak to it because I actually started on white. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were discussing how we were going to watch this, uh, y- you showed an article with uh, people had come up with Various lists, it's like if you, I I remember one of them said, if you want to watch this like it's a Tarantino film, watch it in this order. (laughs) Right. Um, But I wanted to do something different, so I actually went in chromatic order. In I I basically, all of these episodes are based on, are titled uh, as colors. I literally did a rainbow, starting with white (laughs) to pink to red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet.
0: Did a leprechaun show up at the end and hit you with a pot of gold?
1: If I get a pot of gold, do you think I'm going to keep working for you?
0: I mean, no, but I asked you if he hit you with it.
1: <laughs> no, I didn't get hit <laughs> with a pot of gold by a leprechaun.
0: Perfect. This is what our audience really wanted to know, by the way.
1: Sure. Don't worry. <laughs> I get hit with a leprechaun or hit by a leprechaun or hit with something from a leprechaun. You will be the first to know, Mark.
0: Thank you um (laughs) but yeah
1: but yeah and for me that was part of the challenge in watching this because every article that you had shared saying what order to watch season with the exception of chronological every list said end with white yeah but i really wanted to put this to the challenge and i was like well if you say you can watch them in any order then i'm gonna start with white and part of me is a little glad I did because I feel that there was a lot of breadcrumbs laid out in there that it was kind of fun to see get laid out in later episodes, especially with the uh, the orchid necklace,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which I didn't want to find out about that to the end because, again, I finished with Violet. But I'm with you. The white episode was really good. I could figure out. Pretty much everything else that had happened, not like every minute detail, but I could figure out the bulk of the plot
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh from the white episode. And I I honestly just kind of sat back and thought, Well, the only reason I'm gonna keep watching this is because I gotta have something to talk about on Mark's <laughs> show.
0: So but, uh, um, again, I'm saying ahead.
1: that I'm not dissing the idea of this concept.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I am in, I am not happy with how they handled it. I feel that this is a really good gimmick, but I want to see it in other people's hands. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: you know, I agree. And I think being a slave to the narrative structure to where they felt like they had to compartmentalize each episode, I think the people that put this together felt like they had to do that. In order for you to get a complete viewing experience of each episode, everything had to be... Neatly compartmentalized, and Gavin, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think, I think if you take, let's just go with the obvious one. Let's go with Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction is a nice, you know, blended uh, array of different scenes happening at different times. It's not, even though there are sections of the movie you have, you know, the stuff with John Travolta and Samuel Jackson and their whole adventure. You have Bruce Willis and his kinky date with Ving Roms. You have um the you have John
1: and the... Uma Thurman.
0: Right. You know, there are absolutely, as is as is stated in the name, compartmentalized short stories that blended together form this this larger than life story that Quentin Tarantino put that, that that is like redefined film in its time. But if you'll remember watching the pulp fiction S- you didn't need a tremendous amount, as you said, Gavin, exposition to move you from one thing to the next. They just, they expected the audience to be competent and coherent enough to be able to follow along. And if it made some weird, windy turns, you were going to be okay with it because you, there was an element of you never knew what was going to happen next with Pulp Fiction. And it didn't necessarily matter that it was in all kinds of weird orders. Same thing with Reservoir Dogs. You know, Reservoir Dogs is a really great example to compare to kaleidoscope because it's also gimmicky reservoir dogs is an entire movie about a heist that never that you never see but by the end of the movie through the dialogue and through some flashbacks you are given every detail of that heist so that by the end of the movie which is also told out of order and through a series of flashbacks um you are you know you get the complete story but you have to go along for the ride and i think um, and I'll let you speak on this, Gavin, that, that maybe following more of a Tarantino example with this instead of not having a lot, tremendous amount of faith in your audience maybe was a disservice to the show and to the audience at large. And I think, I think
2: therein lies the problem with Kaleidoscope. Um, because, and I'm glad you brought up Reservoir Dogs because to me – that's what this was aspiring towards. It, it yeah. wanted to be mm-hmm. Reservoir Dogs, and
1: it wasn't. I um, actually the, just watched Reservoir Dogs the other night. That's one yeah. of my favorite Tarantino films. And high there, five,
0: Alexis! High five. You get one. from the void. <laughs> you get one free pass out of the basement.
1: <laughs> Woohoo! I'm gonna take that. And go to Disneyland.
2: You know, there, there's nothing wrong with aspiring to be Reservoir Dogs. You know, Tarantino is recognized as a savant. Ah, uh, filmmaker for a reason. Um he innovates, he tells wonderful stories, he does it with actors and and pulls the most out of them that anyone possibly could. I was so say, I think has,
0: has anyone been able to pull anything out of Uma Thurman the way Quentin Tarantino did?
2: No. 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 But he loved her feet, so he well, she was his muse. He um, doesn't um, You're um, right, though.
1: <laughs> nearly all of Tarantino's films are told without a straight chronological yeah. tangent. I mean, there. He, I remember when he uh, talked about Kill Bill and he gave an interview. And the guy asked, why did you start with Victim 2 as opposed to starting with Victim 1? And Tarantino's like, the story just works better if you start with 2. And he's not wrong. It, it does he, work better.
0: He's not. By the way, that, that that's, a, that's a hell of a fight with a frying pan. Go ahead, Gavin. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and I, I think... To be fair to everyone involved, I don't think whoever the director of this miniseries was is going to be compared favorably to Quentin Tarantino anytime soon. And again, that's okay. Not everybody's Kubrick. Not everybody's Tarantino. It's okay. You can still be a good director and not be an elite top 0.1% of directors. Yeah, real
0: quick, just to answer your question, it's directed by a few different people, one of which, uh, Hollywood Shuffle fame, Robert Townsend, of Robert Townsend, and what was it, like his criminal empire, or some shit, what yeah. was that comedy special from back in the day that we all loved, it was Robert Townsend and, and his partners in crime, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for those that don't know, like the whole Wayans family pretty much owe their career to Robert yeah, Townsend. absolutely. <laughs> he
2: um,
0: was he was one of the directors, Everardo Gout. Merzi, Merzi Almas, who also did Shadow and Bone, Why the Last Man, Sandman, Lock and Key, and Outlander. Half of those made Robert Winfrey cry. Um, Russell Fine, and that's it. So there's your, there's your directors.
2: And so therein may lie, lie a big part of the problem is you've got a number of different voices trying to tell the same story as opposed to one cohesive thought and presentation mm-hmm. throughout. I digress. Um, but in in trying to be... Reservoir Dogs and and not. Trying to be Tarantino-esque and not. I think it's fair to say that the same audience that watches Tarantino films enthusiastically, on the whole, is probably a smarter audience than the general Netflix audience as a whole. And that's mm-hmm. not to say everyone that watches Netflix is an idiot, but anytime you broaden the audience the overall IQ is going to be a little yeah. less discerning. It's sure. not, you're not, you're not going to get the people that are just absolute film geeks flocking to kaleidoscope like they did to uh, once upon a time in Hollywood to dissect right. every scene and every bit of dialogue.
0: I was going to say so, it's not to beat up on this particular poor autistic child, but it's the reason why the Marvel movies have gotten dumber over the years. Yeah. They, as they, as they, they got more successful. Mm-hmm. They
2: found they found James Gunn's formula, it works, and ta-da, everything's a billion dollars. Yeah. Um, but I think if I were going to put my finger on one thing that really irks me about Kaleidoscope is that everything about it feels just a little bit less than.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to take that idea and extrapolate a little bit more on it, and then we can move into the craft, Alexis. I think my biggest gripe... And this is going to sound like a craft issue, but it it it's a problem with the um, with the gimmicky structure. And that is I've used the word slight before um, and slight is a way of saying this movie or this television show does not have tremendous thematic impact. It does not have gravitas. It you know, it's it's it's. It's pulpy, it's cottony, it's you're cotton candy-ish, it's airy, it's it's there to be enjoyed, but it's not going to have a lasting, It's you know, it's not the shield, it's not the wire, it's not the Sopranos, it's not going to have a lasting impact on you, it's not a movie, it's not a show or a movie that's going to make you think terribly one way or the other or feel terribly, it's there, you know, it's, it's a cookie, you know, it's there for a little bit of sugary snack, and this isn't even slight, like, like... <laughs> <laughs> this is this is we had one story and we're like okay well how are we gonna stretch it over eight episodes ah uh, fuck I don't know um, slowly yeah like I've seen I I, I mentioned this again not to, not to continue to bring this up but like I remember my initial complaint about season two of The Wire and then season four my god season four being the best example because I've most recently complained about that how it takes them forever forever to find the bodies in the row house. Like, wow, that all season for that? All season for this one thing? Season four of The Wire, uh, what do you call it? Kaleidoscope makes season four of The Wire seem like the fucking Flash. Like, man, this goes nowhere in a hurry. There is, I mean, there is so little story in every one of these episodes where it was like, (laughs) they take a crumb of an idea and spend an hour on it. It's like, it, it's the equivalent of like three or four guys all high as fuck having a conversation about nothing but having it for six hours until the pot <laughs> runs out.
2: But you can listen to the conversation in
0: any order you want. <laughs> sure. Um, I'm going to let you jump in here, Alexis. But like, it, in order, I, I think like they had, I feel like the heist was somebody's script. And they were like, what if we take this movie, what if we add a bunch of shit to it, cut it up, and oh, to sell it, we'll say it's this gimmicky thing, we can do it in any order that you want. And it's like, okay, but we really don't have enough story for that. Oh, it's okay, it's Netflix, it don't matter. Wow. Like, I was watching this thing, and it's not that I had like the worst experience ever, but I definitely kept feeling like... You know, Robert and I have talked about like the three plus hour film and how this is the worst thing that's happened to Hollywood, you know, since the Avengers. And it's for you, Gavin. For you. Um, Tell Jed I said hi. Uh, is the, the the three plus hour movie is the worst thing to happen to Hollywood since the Avengers, because they they just don't fill the time. These things, these things, couldn't be edited down to two two and a half hours but nobody wants to kill their babies. Kaleidoscope is the biggest offender yet. It's an eight-hour movie that's really only a two-hour movie. Fuck this show, Alexis. Fuck it. All right, go ahead.
1: I think my biggest problem, honestly, was, and I I know we'll get into this a little bit more with the actors, but a lot of it was with the characters. Mm -hmm. This, it kills me because this show, miniseries, whatever you want to call it, is the epitome of... We forgot, show, don't tell. <laughs> I was praying that by the end, okay, so again, there, sometimes when you watch something like this where the story is out of order, like a Tarantino flick or whatever, there are parts that you don't quite understand. There are little character interactions that you don't quite get, and you're thinking, oh, it's going to get revealed. Oh, mm-hmm. they're going to explain this a little bit further down the road. Oh, this is, th- 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 this is uh, they're setting up for something. So much of that did not get resolved. There were so many tangents, so many character interactions that I, I, I was sitting there going, it's like, okay, I know that I'm like doing other things while watching this, but am I just not paying close enough attention to the show or what? Especially with the whole thing between Judy and Stan and Bob, I, I could not get what was going on with their triangle i could not understand i mean it's like okay so judy's married to bob but then we have that scene of her in the prison giving him the sim cards and he's saying he wants to propose to her and then he meets bob and it's like well wait were they already married and she didn't tell him or did they get married after he escaped from jail or i i don't know i i couldn't follow it you know, you had this whole plot with Hannah finding out she's pregnant, and she's talking about the father of the child. But we don't know who the father of the child is, or why this is a big deal.
0: Alexis, you know what you're you're, you're kind of telling me with your criticism here? This is like that sort of icebreaker exercise you do in a group where somebody starts a story, and then another, and then it, it's like it, it's an improv exercise. Yeah. And then
1: it is, yeah. yeah and, then, and then right,
0: right and and it's like the writers were doing it they're all sitting at the writing table like I'm writing out this story and then it's like well I'm gonna do my own thing and then the dam broke but you know, it just goes on and on and you're like what no one's following their own story at all they're just kind of adding their own shit to it like it's fine
2: and nobody thought to make the hurricane a sharknado <laughs>
1: i take you know, a sharp you know, needle was, over this it was
2: right there for him
0: you know what was uh, was missing from this movie and it's a crime against film and cinema uh no zombie tidal wave that's what this movie really needed a zombie tidal wave
1: but yeah I, I, yeah I just again i i sat back thinking it's like okay so i know i watched this in a weird order i fully admit that but i'm trying to figure out it's like did watching this in the order that i did did that lead to this being worse than i thought or was it just and and again i think that's part of the problem here
0: all right go ahead you're like i'm
1: sorry you're shaking your head please
2: oh no i don't i don't think the order that anybody watched it contributed to anything the show's just a mess (laughs) okay all right, I, think
1: that's as good I will of, say but... there are some bits that I really like. There's some jokes mm-hmm. that get set up and again, in the, if you watch it in a different order I love it. You have that scene in the Pink episode where um, uh, Teresa tries to take out Bob by hitting him in the shoulder with her butcher's knife and then in an earlier episode she find out she said that it's like the day I can't chop some shoulder, referring to pork shoulder, right. is the day you can take me out and I was like, shit that was funny. You can have we... the thing where they're, they're talking second, about what we... they're going to can we talk
0: about the fact that Jai Courtney was the T-1000 in this show for no good reason? Like, I, I get, like, there are certain supermen in, you know, in action movies that can take an amazing amount of damage and, like, no human—fucking poor Scarlett Johansson dropped from orbit in her own movie and, you know, <laughs> and, and got, get, dust herself off and continues to fuck off. Yeah, broke her,
1: broke her nose, severed <laughs> the uh, the nerve, and yet right. she's somehow able to put it back to normal. Yeah. I mean, I, can't, I think it was, like, one of the Batman
0: movies where, like, he just falls and hits every fucking roof on the way down and just dusts himself <laughs> off. He's fine. But, you know, Jai Courtney, who is not a Superman, Gavin, Jai Courtney, who's just a dude, and he gets, what, shot, stabbed, hit with an axe, and, you know, or a uh, butcher thing, and, like, it just keeps on going. And it's like, why is he fucking indestructible? Why?
2: I wish I had a reason for you.
1: (laughs) He was definitely more entertaining as Captain Boomerang, and it kills me that when they finally made him interesting, they killed him off. (laughs) Because he was not interesting in the first Suicide Squad movie. That character was boring. So, who decided to have him dress in tracksuit mafia?
0: I was going to say, like, is that just a Jai Courtney thing? That was like, I'll be in your show or your movie, but I have to wear a tracksuit the entire time. Like, like, he goes into costuming, and they're like, we have this thing for you. It's like, no, 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 I'm wearing my costume. But is that from home? Yes. I have, an, I have an entire collection, an entire wardrobe of Adidas tracksuits. It's all I wear. All right, let's get into the craft here. Yeah, let's, let's talk about performances. Um, Giancarlo Esposito is, you know, if, if people are listening to this, do they ever say anything positive on this network about anything? Yes. It was called Violent Night, and we praised that movie up and down. But um, uh, here's another thing that we liked about Uh, Violet night
1: and the menu.
0: (laughs) And the menu, yes. And the North And Ted Lasso. And Ted Lasso. Um, But we've spent the first half of this kind of shitting on the show. So let's say some positive things about it. Giancarlo Esposito is holding this thing up on his shoulders.
1: Has he ever given a bad performance? I I don't think he is. I don't think that man has ever given a bad performance.
0: No, he elevates most of what he's in, including dumb shit like The Mandalorian. (sniffs) Um, but, um, I'm just tweaking nipples, but no, Gene Carl, Gene Carl Esposito, I think is really the glue holding this entire show together. Um, I think his, the way he's written in terms of being, um, out for revenge. And I, and I, and I think it's sort of a fun concept for your heist is I'm stealing from this guy to get back at him. I just want, I. This is, this is my way of getting back at this guy for taking everything from me. So it's not just a heist movie, a heist show, it's also a revenge tale. And I think Giancarlo Esposito does a really great job, Gavin, of giving you that pain and anguish and dog determinism. And at the end, that sort of you know blinded by the need for revenge to the exclusion of all else. He is about the only thing holding this whole fucking show together. And without him, you've got nothing.
2: So I think what you said about this being somebody's script that just kind of got piled on and jigsawed and improv into what we, what we got. Mm-hmm. I think that you can see just the, the faint chalk outline of a blockbuster here. Mm-hmm. And I think that you can see it in the casting choices. And I think that you can see it in the performances that we got. Because do you know what Paz Vega's not? What is Paz Vega not? She's not Selma Hayek. (laughs) You know what what Jack Courtney's not? He's not Gerard Butler. Mm -hmm. I thought you were going
1: to say Tom Hardy.
2: And it felt like... I mean, that fits too. But Mm. it felt like that was the whole thing with this movie. Is that everything was not the name brand. Yeah. To the point that without looking at IMDb and fast-forwarding through the credits and not watching the credits at the end of each episode, after the first 3 episodes I kept asking myself is is that actually Giancarlo Esposito? <laughs> if it is, why is he doing a Giancarlo Esposito impression instead of okay. just being Giancarlo Esposito? Because it, even though he was agreed the best thing in this, I mean mm-hmm. certainly not the, the nerdy guy that's not quite Huey from the boys. Um, oh, my
1: god, I could've I thought for the longest time th- that was the actor.
0: See? It's, it's fucking it's, you know, I swear, I look at him like nice. is that Huey? Yeah, okay. it's not.
1: Is that Quaid's son? Yeah.
0: I'll tell you what, and, and, now that you said it, because I kept thinking Paz Vega was actually what's her nuts that used to be with Tom Cruise. Penelope um, Cruz. Yeah, I yes, I no shit. I thought Paz Vega was Penelope Cruz, and now that she? you're saying, I'm like, holy crap, that's off-brand Penelope Cruz. And yeah, You're right; that guy is off-brand. Huey. Yeah. I thought that the off.
1: girl. I thought that uh, the girl playing Judy was Lizzie Kaplan. I'm like, wait, that's not Lizzie Kaplan. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah I
2: great. mean, she had moments where she looked like Brittany Murphy. I mean, <laughs> it,
0: K- K- Kaleidoscope, welcome to the
2: look-alike show. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the Dollar General brand of a blockbuster, and. You know, I'm, I'm not going to ask Giancarlo Esposito to give us his best effort on something like this. Um, you know, Gustavo Fring deserves much more of his energy. Um, but it just, when I said the whole thing feels just a little bit less than, that's what I mean. Like, even down to the casting choices, you can see that this was probably originally intended to be something much bigger than what it is. Right.
0: Can we get Ray Lieto? No. But what about his body double? Yeah, he's fine. He'll
1: be way. <laughs> You know what? I actually didn't mind Rufus Sewell. Oh, he's
0: fantastic. The,
1: but he was best in the Violet episode. When he mm-hmm. was playing a little bit larger than life, kind of chewing the scenery a little mm-hmm. bit. The rest mm-hmm. of the time, when he has to play so much more subdued, he's boring as hell. But in the Violet episode, I was like, "Why?" again, I saw that episode last. I'm like, why couldn't I have gotten this? For the rest of it, he would have been so much more fun.
2: He's, He's a tremendous villain. And, and if if there's anybody that sees hears this that has never watched a night's tale, to see him portray the villain in a night's tale, it's just it's a master class. It's fantastic.
1: Did, was anyone just else on the other Don't watch the, the uh, Zorro sequel to see him as a villain. Mm, He's terrible in that. Don't do that.
0: The gal playing um Giancarlo Esposito's daughter. Am I alone in thinking like she is at best fucking direct-to-video actress. Like I did not, <laughs> I was not impressed, and I this might have been too much performance for her to achieve.
2: If this were the 1990s, she would be the lead in Witchcraft Seven. Yeah, it, she, it, felt, she
0: felt like the hostage in Predator. You know,
1: <laughs> wait, I'm sorry. Which character are you talking about again? Hannah. Oh, it's Prudence from Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Is that who that was? Yeah, you- and she was also in uh, Uncharted. I oh, that's we right. About.
0: And we talked about how she's we liked her in Sabrina. Mm-hmm.
1: Though Sabrina is the
0: reason I won't watch Wednesday because I'm getting really fucking tired of you know the magic the, the Magic School Kids. Um, sorry, that's a whole other tangent. But I, you, I now that you're saying it, did she get? Wow, she's gotten worse over time because she was great on Sabrina, but they limited her role. She was great in Uncharted, but she was just a goon. And now she has to actually, like, act opposite Jean Carl Esposito. And this is a great example of how a great actor will make make you seem shittier than you might actually be because you're not as good as you think you are. She's awful in this.
1: I agree. She's gorgeous. She is beyond gorgeous. I kind of missed the short hair.
0: I got to be honest with you. But no, you know, she's not wrong. She's a pretty gal, but she can't act for shit. Not in this show, at least, Kevin.
2: Well, I don't think we probably got anybody's
0: best efforts here. <laughs> oh, I don't know. This is, this was Jai Courtney. This might have been his best role yet besides Boomerang, uh, Mr. Captain Boomerang. Captain
1: Boomerang. And store, about...
2: brand, store brand Huey. This is his mm-hmm. big break.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, real quick, just uh, closing out on performances. Was there any... A uh, good, bad, or ugly performance, Gavin, that you wanted to speak on.
2: I mean, I always enjoy watching Giancarlo Esposito, even if it's not his best work. Um, mm-hmm. But everything was just kind of middling. Uh, mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing offensively bad for me. Um, mm-hmm. But certainly nothing that ten years from now I'm going to say, "Hey, did you ever watch Kaleidoscope? And did you see?" No. it's very forgettable. Other than Giancarlo Esposito doing a fantastic impression of Giancarlo Esposito. <laughs> All
0: right, moving on. I the heist episode almost works for me. It's it's definitely the it's definitely the best of the entire series. Um, I think if like. If you're <laughs> watch, be okay. Uh, I thought the heist episode they pulled off pretty well up until the very end. Um, it kind of Alexis falls off a cliff for me towards the end, to where I think here they were. I think that last little bit with the heist. They were really reaching for something, and I don't think they they got it. I think I think the heist episode kinda dies at the end. What did you think of it?
1: Well again, I start I started with the heist episode. So I don't really think it died for me. (laughs) You know, there were parts of it I did enjoy. And there were parts in the later episodes I liked seeing how they kind of figured it out. Although I'm just gonna say this: the whole mm-hmm. walk thing, the walk sensor is got that that has got to be the dumbest thing I have ever heard of in my life. It's like if oh, it doesn't the, recognize the your walk, it's, yeah, it's like it doesn't recognize <laughs> yeah, your, walk, your gate. Like, yeah, it's like well, heaven forbid somebody ever walks in with a sprained ankle.
0: Um, you know, they missed an opportunity to do like a Ministry of Silly Walks thing. That's what I want. Instead of instead of the bees, I just wanted somebody to be like, ha-ha! you know, as he's walking in there, um, you know, they, they they you hear dive so bro in the background, like you're a dive so bro, you know, just keep on grooving. Gavin knows what I'm talking about. I do.
1: <laughs> but even then, it it did. I think it did kind of fall off a little bit. But again, since I watched that at the it beginning, dragged. that's I, what I'm I, saying. I, like
0: the last yeah. part of that heist just drags at the end to where like. Once, once they do the big reveal that Hannah already moved the bonds, and then it's like they—I I feel like—I I feel like as they were editing that episode, they didn't realize they had another twenty minutes to go, and they were like, "Fuck, we need pickup shots now," you know. Like, I, I don't feel like that last little bit of the heist is particularly cohesive. Is what I is what I meant by like, kind of dies at the end.
1: Yeah, I'll give you that. Like I said. <sighs> I really feel like there's a great idea with this, you know, choose which episode you want to watch next thing. I I really think that in more capable hands, we could have a great miniseries. I think this is a creative idea. I think it's fun. And I think it also leads to a lot of discussion about how we perceive the film. I was talking about this uh, with some other people who were watching in different orders, and they were discussing how they were, you know, picking up clues in various things, and how they were perceiving characters. And I like that. But this show just doesn't know how to get us to relate to these characters in one particular episode. You know? It's it's very hard to, you know, Hang
0: on. I want to piggyback on that. And, and I want to draw Kevin into this because I think actually you made a really good point there because you're talking about likability, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I want Kevin, I want you to talk about your thoughts on the, the heist itself. But let's weave this in there, too. Whether you're not you like the Oceans movies or the Italian job, I think, you know, or like Gone in 60 Seconds, the thing that makes all of these movies successful, other than how slick your heist is filmed, is the likability of your thieves. If your thieves stink. If these are not people you want to see, you know, the guy they're ripping off. So, like, here's a great example. The first Oceans movie, I uh, think it's Andy Garcia. You don't like the Andy Garcia character. You want to see him ripped off. George Clooney and Brad Pitt have fucking charisma for days, and you want to see them succeed. You want to see George Clooney make good and make up with Julia Roberts and make gorgeous, dumb Hollywood babies. Like you want, you want to see Brad Pitt eat a sandwich and be full for once in that movie. No, um, yeah. you, know, you want to see them succeed because these are all like. Birdie Mac is fantastic in this. Like you want to see him get his money. Um, the Italian Job. You, you know Charlize Theron and uh, I think it's Matt Damon. Mark, that's in that one. Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, uh, and guy. Seth
1: Green and Moe's death yeah. and Jason Statham. These are, these I, I are, haven't seen that movie in over ten years, and I remember those characters yeah. and I love them.
0: Right, these are fun, likable people. You want to see them succeed? Does anyone, Gavin, want to see fucking Jai Courtney succeed in this because he's an asshole? Does anyone want to <laughs> see what the fuck's her name? Yeah, the other <clears throat> broad in this movie, uh, um. <laughs> Rosaline Elbe, does anyone give a shit if she succeeds in this thing? No, no one gives a shit. You know, you kind of want to see Giancarlo succeed because, like, he got... He's a sympathetic
2: by. character, at yeah, least.
0: He, yeah, he at least got fucked by the villain and lost his wife in the process and went to prison. Like, you want to see him get away with murder, but the rest of them, you're like, no. Nah, like, I hope they all get shot.
2: Yeah, they're all <laughs> they're terrible. not good writing. <clears throat> so, in regards to the heist itself... I think what you said, likability of the thieves, whether you're talking about the Ocean's crew, the Italian Job, or even going back to to Newman and Redford in The Sting, you know, you, you need to have somebody that you like as your protagonist. Um, on top of that, I think the most fun part of any heist movie is the Rube Goldberg esque way that they get into the vault. Right. And you know, I'll I'll give Kaleidoscope credit on this. We had thermal sensors, we had a flooded vault, we had bees, we had a weird, not-quite-Guy-Fawkes mask. Sorry,
0: sorry. Covered in bees!
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: would have been a lot more fun with Nicolas Cage there to revisit the bees. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they did well with the actual heist. Right. Um, but, yeah, you don't like any of these people. Uh You've got this very surly, antagonistic... Guy that's just really kind of stupid and aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Paz Vega's character probably could have been more likable if they had given her any depth, other than maybe she's a snitch. Um, they tried to make the FBI agent sympathetic, but never really felt anything for her. Uh, Giancarlo, he's again a sympathetic character. Uh, Stan, or not Huey, as we referred to him earlier. He's just kind of a miserable human being with no backbone. Um, RJ, the guy that just drummed on everything. I hate people that drum on things in public settings. And so I was happy when he died. Um, <laughs> there's, there was nobody there that I wanted to see walk away with any of the money. Can I, and I, guess can it's I just kind say,
0: when you're cheering for Mr. Blonde who sawed off a guy's ear... <laughs> More than any character in this entire fucking show. We have a problem with the character writing.
2: Yeah, And I think that's a a big... I think that's current television and movies. Everything Mm -hmm. has to be angsty, mopey, hot topic. Just kill me. (laughs) I, I, I know this is the first time Alexis has had the pleasure of dealing with me. I hate everything. I really do. If you think Pat's bad, I'm worse. Um...
1: Why do you think uh, Mark's avoided putting us on the same show? He's, yeah. he's terrified if you and I ever meet, we're going to kill each other. Yeah, um, there was, there was I'm a friendly
2: like, grump. I just hate yeah. everything.
1: Yeah, you're yeah, the no. friendly grump. I'm the little ray of sunshine on this network.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, when G- Gavin like, I want to talk kaleidoscope, but then you were like, I want to talk kaleidoscope too. I too like, fuck, I got to have Alexis and Gavin on the same show. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> like, let's get Pat in here. We can really round <laughs> this out. Look, um, as long
1: as we're not talking Marvel, which is why I haven't brought up how good of a heist movie Ant-Man is.
2: I love Ant-Man. Paul Rudd is infinitely likable. And if yeah, they see, had a Paul yeah, Rudd... Yeah, there you go.
1: Again, Paul Rudd.
2: If they had a Who Paul Rudd-type Rudd? character, they would have been fine here. I was going to
0: say, I, well, just, so since you brought it up and, you know, we're, we're, I think you brought it up just to tweak a nipple, but it's actually a relevant point. The thing that makes Ant-Man work, aside from it was once upon a time Edgar Wright's script, and then it got, you know, Shanghai by Peyton Reed, um, was the fact that that Paul Rudd's Scott Lang is infinitely likable. He is every man, he is someone you want to see succeed.
1: Even Michael yes. Douglas's uh Hank Pym is likable. He's the most sarcastic human being on the planet, but he's still yeah. likable.
0: And not enough domestic violence for my taste. <laughs> and coladas.
1: <laughs> ah hey, that worked. <laughs>
2: and uh And (laughs) and kaleidoscope on the other hand, give me a million
1: dollars.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Kaleidoscope on the other hand is just joyless. There's no there's no fun in it. Like I said,
1: like I said before, the only thing I really got a kick out of was little jokes that were set up and paid off in later episodes, based on the order. The chopped shoulder, um, (laughs) finding out about the pink. You know, he said uh, uh, Bob says he wants to see the pink sands. But I had watched Pink earlier, and then you see the scene of him passing out, looking at his blood in the sand, and the sand's turning pink. And then when he later says, I want to see the pink sand, I'm like, oh, okay, that was clever. This, but this might is be it clever? Most,
0: this might be the most morose heist I've ever seen captured on film, now that you mention it. <laughs> but sorry. again,
1: it's like, is that clever because of the order I watched it in, or was that clever because it's clever writing? I don't so, know.
2: I think it's fairly clever, just not terribly well executed.
0: Yeah. All right. But the remaining time that we have left, Gavin, anything craft wise left unsaid, you know, in terms of like color paletting, settings, um, dialogue that you want to make mention of?
2: I'm half colorblind, so I'm no use to you there. Um, mm-hmm. but I will say there were some shots that I felt like were very well done. Um, I think they did a very good job of framing the group dialogue scenes. Um, so that nothing felt like it was a true center point and that everybody had equal weight when they had four or five characters on screen. They were spaced nicely. They were positioned nicely. And Let I think piggyback. they did
0: it. Let me quick piggyback on that because so often a movie like this, everyone's every, everyone's Aaron's fucking sorkin'. It's the, it's almost too slick. Mm-hmm. Everyone's too witty. Everyone's too sharp. Boy, that and, wasn't a problem here. Yeah, no. <laughs> but but, but the, for me, that's almost complimentary. Yeah. I mean I can no, see I, know what where, you're
2: saying.
0: Yeah, I can see where it might bother somebody because you want that snappy witty sharp Aaron Sorkin-esque dialogue. Um, it's what makes these heist movies kind of fun because they kind of go hand in hand. I, you know, um, bold move cotton to make everyone <laughs> to make everyone not sharp and not witty. <laughs> and kind of and kind of just like you know, schlubs. Like just like, yeah, hey, we're just doing a heist, you know, I don't really want to be here. Yeah, like, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: but on top of that, uh, I did enjoy the soundtrack. Uh, mm-hmm. I,
0: thought, I thought they
2: did a good job with the soundtrack, placing very likable, well-known songs, mixing them in with a little bit more underground and, and, and less well-known stuff um, that suited each episode and suited mm-hmm. the scenes they were in. I, I did think that if I were going to heap praise on any one element of this show, it would be the soundtrack.
0: All right, Alexis, take me home, baby girl. Uh good, bad, or ugly. Uh craft elements, story structure, uh, plot, settings, color palettings, all of it. Go. Well,
1: I'm gonna piggyback on the soundtrack and point out there are a couple of moments where they reuse certain songs and certain elements that I thought really paid off well. For example, uh, the same song plays at the end of the Pink episode that starts at the beginning of the Violet episode, sort of bookending the series. I always find little details like that to be very clever, and I like that. And yeah, I'm with you, Gavin. The music in this was really good. But again, like I said before, I want to see this concept utilized again. I like this. I like that we are experimenting with what we can do. Now that we are no longer bound to, you can only watch what's on TV on a certain night unless you got your freaking VCR plugged in. We have the technology. I want to see us take advantage of it. Just get it into more capable hands. I will also say, though, I am not colorblind, hence why I decided to go with the chromatic order. And there were quite a few scenes in every episode where they used suggestive tones of the episode. The pink one that stood out to me the most because we have the scenes of the agent using her little pink um, bunny rabbit, and you have the scene with the cherry blossoms, uh, the violet scene. You have the uh, the what do they call it? The the orchid necklace. Yeah. Yeah, you, know, you got that. Uh, the green episode takes place in the prison, so there's a lot of tones of greens. I'm just gonna add this. I can't believe we didn't bring this up. But the scene of the prisoners getting high on mushrooms is gonna go down as one of the funniest things I have seen in a while, and that was hilarious. I
0: was, I mean, I was amused by that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. I, the whole, regardless of what you say about that, that whole scene cutting to them giving themselves shoulder massages—that was great. <laughs> But, yeah, this is not a bad idea for us to utilize for a Netflix series. I would like to see it done again. Just give us some more likable characters, please.
0: All right. um, If there's nothing else, Gavin, uh, anything you wanted to add? If not, then we're going to close up shop.
2: No, I think, you know, Hail Caesar was a movie that when I watched it in theaters, I didn't like it. And then I got home and I thought about it. And I kept thinking of little moments throughout Hail Caesar. And I thought, well, that was enjoyable. I really liked that. Josh Brolin was fantastic. Maybe I should watch this again. And then I rewatched Hail Caesar and I really liked it. And every time I've gone back to revisit Hail Caesar, I've liked it a little bit more to the point that it's probably become one of my all-time top ten favorite movies.
0: More so than The Master?
2: No, it's not above The Master. <laughs> But okay, well, has,
0: like, who's jerking off into the ocean in fucking Hail Caesar that See, I, if that I, was yeah. in
2: there, then it would <laughs> skyrocket. But Okay, um, that's what I'm talking about. But, you know, it, it was something that I initially had a distaste for, but I was willing to revisit it, and it's grown on me since then. I don't anticipate having that issue with Kaleidoscope. Um, it is what it is. I'm content to leave it in the rear view. Um, And honestly, I don't know that I'll ever think about it again after tonight.
0: We, um, with Babylon and some other movies, whether we liked them or hated them, one thing that we wanted to praise was the, not the cinematography, but the use of the camera. Again, I've said it in Damn You Hollywood, and I'll say it now, Um, as Robert once said, it's not about, it's not that that you tilted the camera, it's why do you tilt the camera? And one of my big criticisms of modern television, especially, but also some modern movie making, is filmmakers use the camera as an instrument to capture uh, motion and performance. They, they move the camera, they swing the camera, they move the camera, they do things with it. They create art with the camera. It, it is, you know, they use it in like a paintbrush, or some people use it like a gun. They literally stand and shoot the fucking thing. It's just yeah. um, And is as static as the day is long. And therein lies the, uh, the, the contrast in films where some are beautifully shot, and they may not be the world's greatest movies. Babylon, in many ways, sucked. But boy, did they know how to swing that camera. And it made for a more pleasurable viewing experience than, if, like, you know, say Brat Ratner had shot it. And he would have shot it like a gun. And to Kaleidoscope's credit, and if you want to piggyback on this, you can, Alexis, or you can go into your final thoughts. Um, I really, uh, other than some of the performance stuff that I mentioned before, the only other thing that that really stood out to me about this show was the use of the camera. There were some pretty artful shots in this show. And, you know, credit, credit, all the credit in the world to the um, directors of photography and the directors of each episode for at least getting that much right. This isn't a complete loss. Um, I don't know how much I would recommend this to people, but I think if you're kind of like a film snob like me and you're looking for something that's at least interestingly shot, um, I would say Kaleidoscope is at least worth watching the heist episode for to see what they do with that camera. You know, you keep mentioning the pink sands thing, Alexis, and one of the standout shots to me was Jai Courtney falling down and the camera then tilts sideways and, you know, and everything is straight up and then it, it, you know, not fades, but um, it uh, dissolves to pink. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Like, not everything captured my attention in Kaleidoscope and there was definitely times I was distracted, but occasionally there would be a shot where I was like, oh, that was really artfully done. Well done, way to use your instrument. So, um, anything about the camera work? If not, you can give your last words, and then we'll get into plugs.
1: Actually, yeah, the cinematography in this was quite good. You guys mentioned about how they had a good, they did a good job framing up the group shots. Yes, I like those. I like a lot of the pan shots where they show people working in the uh, warehouse, practicing. I like the various shots where they build up whether or not, you know someone's going to be rounding around the corner or it turns out that they're actually walking into a completely different building. Shots like that, I think are very creative and not exactly all that easy to time out. Right. So, you know what? You're right. I'll get, I'll give two points to this review for the uh, cinematography.
0: All right. Well, that then ends our review of kaleidoscope. Um, I think it was a worthy, we think it was worthy of discussion, the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, whether or not you enjoyed the show, your mileage may vary. Hey, Alexis, I understand you make homemade jewelry out of game pieces and paint houses. Why don't you tell the people about it?
1: Oh, I thought I just got locked in the basement.
0: Okay, you're gone. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> you you got to be good? You got to behave?
1: Can I call you an asshole? One time, sure. Okay, yeah, you're an asshole.
0: Now go do your plugs, my Thank love. you.
1: Yes, Honeysuckle Rose Creations, where fashion meets fandom at the intersection of geek and chic. We are in our off-season right now as far as the conventions, because I don't like driving in winter weather. But our online stores are still open. You can find us on Etsy and handmade at Amazon. We just uploaded a bunch of brand new products into there, including a handful of things based around the hit TV show Wednesday, because even though Mark doesn't want to watch it, I sure enjoyed that series, and I know a lot of you guys did as well. If you're in the Kansas City area, be sure to swing by Level One Game Shop. We just dropped off a big shipment of keychains and wire out dice necklaces for them. As well as all of their awesome board games, they have a great selection. As far as the convention circuit, we are going to be getting back on the road in March. We are looking at Planet Comic Con, that's our home show here in Kansas City. We love it there. We are so excited. And I just got an invite today for a two-day event in Lawrence, Kansas, at a library. I've never done that before. I think it sounds like fun. I'm probably going to do it. So, of course, you can always follow us on Instagram and Facebook and under Rest Twitter. That is Honeysuckle Rose Creations, the intersection of geek and chic.
0: Yeah, Evan, I heard a rumor. A little birdie told me that maybe you and Pat might do a wrestling show. Maybe. Yeah,
2: of- we're working on it. Maybe. We've worked on
0: it for like a hundred years now. What the fuck, man? Well,
2: time and space. Time and space. But your- we are still your- efforting. We've not thrown in the towel.
0: Oh my god. I, I just put your kid on the podcast. It's fine. I do it all the time. Occasionally oh. I str- occasionally I strangle a child on the podcast. You've seen oh. me do it.
1: You don't invite your kid on the podcast. They just walk into the blue screen to the green screen.
2: <laughs> no, because literally means- then he's up too late, and then he's overtired, and then he doesn't sleep at night, which means I don't sleep at night, and I like to sleep at night.
1: How old your kid? Three. Oh boy, the. five. Oh God, age. has it been
0: that long? <laughs> it has. It oh, has. Gavin, remember those casual hero days? Vaguely. Do you remember the parameters? Tell me about yes, the parameters, the Gavin. Parameters. <laughs> Tell me about the parameters, Gavin.
2: <laughs> oh, the parameters, <laughs> the guidelines. <laughs> What are the parameters of this list? Chris, read some Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> I guess I'll be I'll be back if and when they ever decide to release Ted Lasso Season 3. Um, they managed to go a full calendar year
0: without it. So. Hey, listen, I, I told most of these motherfuckers, I'm not podcasting with you anymore. I'm not doing any more TV. But I'll podcast with you.
1: actually gavin he's not lying mark and i sat down to discuss what shows that now that i'm in charge of tv party tonight i said well which shows do you want to still headline so i don't step on any toes and he said flat out ted lasso
2: yep yep ted lasso is a definite it is the one ray of sunshine in my life as, as far as television goes however however there does appear to be a new uh I don't know if it's a new season, a spin-off, a new series, uh, but Justified is returning to television. I I'm heard excited about. So
0: we might have to go back and do the old Justified first, and then the new Justified.
2: If you do the old Justified, count me
0: in. All right, I got to get through eight hundred. Epi- I got to get through eight hundred uh, seasons of David Simon stuff, and then maybe I can start working on the uh, Sean Murphy. Sean Murphy was he Justified and Shield yes. and all that? Yeah, yeah then maybe <laughs> then I can do the. Uh, I could do all the Sean Murphy shows and podcasts on those for another 100 years. All right. Um, as for me and what I do, I think you're done with your plugs now, right? Or you're not plugs? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. So this has been an interesting week. Uh, Jesse did a source material for something called Cheetah Man, uh, which was some sort of comic that came with a video game, I guess. Yep.
1: Wait, wasn't yeah. Jesse supposed to be on the show tonight? Because he was asking about what orders we no. were all watching.
0: no he's doing his unspoken did you not listen to the most recent metal hammer of doom jukebox where i was like oh go ahead and podcast with your unspoken issues friends that's fine you don't like me anymore i did a whole guilt trip thing like i would do to my wife did it to him it was great it's for the for the world to hear um i was like oh you don't want to podcast with me that's fine he was like i have you like moved shit i thought my fault i'm like that's fine you don't really like me anymore anyway oh this this went on for a good 10 minutes it was great um. Anyway, so uh, Ronnie Adams, after he put the packet on the glass, what glass? The little glass door in the microwave. As a little, <coughs> oh my god! Trying to teach Ronnie how to use Streamyard, Neil gave me a stroke. But he got, <laughs> but he got it together finally. And him and Pat did an amazing review of Tulsa King, which is now up in the archive. <coughs> um, myself and Robert Winfrey. Did an afternoon recording, uh, DMU Hollywood, for the movie Plane with Gerard Butler and Mike Coulter. Had a great time talking about that. We spent like half of it just trying to convince people to go to the goddamn movies and save our cinemas. Go see movies like Plane and stop watching stupid Marvel movies. It's killing theaters. Um, <laughs> tonight, tonight was Kaleidoscope. And hey, Ronnie Adams, allegedly, is threatening to bring back the Screaming Boy podcast, at least for one podcast. He wants to talk about the future of Dungeons and Dragons, whatever that may be. Um, I was on Movies That Don't Suck and Some That Do, and they released their Best of 2022 episode that I was on. That'll be up on our network this Friday, Saturday. Everyone Loves a Bad Guy, Oz. You know what I've always wondered? Yes, Oz. I believe I'm on that episode of Everyone Loves a Bad Guy, so that'll be fun. And then Sunday, it's Metal Hammer of Doom Sundays from back in the Blog Talk Radio days. We're going (coughs) to be airing our Amon Amarth, Deceiver of the Gods review. (coughs) Next week, we've got reviews for Doom Patrol Season 4. We'll have Ryan Johnson's Glass Onion, a Knives Out sequel. And then Thursday, uh, myself and... Uh, Jesse Starcher and uh, possibly Andrew Graham will be doing yet another David Simon jam this time TV party tonight for a generation kill and that's what's going on here on the Legend Broadcasting Network I want to thank Gavin thank you Gavin thank you Gavin (laughs) And I want to thank you Alexis for joining us here for giving up your seat to let the man come around and take back his podcast for one night one night only baby to talk kaleidoscope for Alexis Hanna for Gavin Napier. I'm overdramatic. Be well, be safe and behave.